C3 is an absolutely fascinating place. Um, and for those that don't know, sometimes you just have to be here. So I appreciate you all being here today. I was told that the theme for the day is sacred. Um, and one of the reasons that C3 is so fascinating to me is sometimes you'll have the musician come and, and will play exactly what you needed to hear. Uh, and then you'll have the meditation go. And these things haven't been necessarily lined up to fall together like dominoes, but for some way the universe just lines them up and makes everything connect. And when I was listening to the meditation as well as the music before, I felt it all starting to connect. And I appreciate you all for having me today as your speaker. Um, so you all have heard me come to C3 a couple different times before and talk about kind of my my path and uh, the stumbles that I've made and the times that I've, I've fallen on my face and the victory that I've experienced in, in mourning and grief and loss um, in navigating the road to sobriety and redemption and so many things. But one thing that I don't often dive into anywhere uh, is my personal life, is the things that have always felt like the bedrock and the stability of my life because I, I use my platform many times to talk about the things that I'm struggling to hold. Um, but here we are today. So I, I feel like I can't talk about the now without talking about what got me to where we are. For those that do not know, uh, I have an incredibly dynamic woman in my life. Uh, and I have for about... Six going on seven years. We kind of argue about the time frame because some of us are like, eh, that didn't count then. Um, so you always start from, you know, where it feels comfortable. Um, but I met this amazing human being at one of my poetry shows. Uh, art, of course, brings so many of the things I love and appreciate into my life. And when I met this human being, I was absolutely floored. Uh, it's somebody who had so many of the familiar turbulences that I had in my upbringing. Somebody who understood what it was to need somebody to choose you and to make you feel whole and somebody that you didn't have to, to work for, with, to feel wanted and needed. And um, our love bloomed quicker than anything that I've ever experienced in my entire life. It was uh, like a movie. Everything was so effortless. Of course, we had to work through the hard times, but everything was so effortless that it just felt easy. And I wrote my first love poem about this, this dynamic woman, uh, and it goes a little something like this. Her backhanded statements land on my chin with the grace of a robin on a street sign. But the intersection between being off balance in love is where God lives. I've never been the religious type, but I swear to God she could be one, so I pray to her. I swear every time she says, you've written poems about every one of your temporary exes, but I don't hear a poem about the woman you say you want to marry. Dang. 
but she was right. <laughs> I wanted to marry her. For longer than I can remember, I played house in women's imaginations. Every relationship a truth or dare me to leave is honesty would never reside beneath the floorboards. Our foundations, never more than hot air, my lovers, always baskets holding open pieces, our heads balloon blooming to my words, fueling us to stay together. But she is wrong about one thing. <laughs> I did not write poems about every one of my exes, though because of her, I wish I did. They say bad relationships make great poetry, but I have to disagree because I've heard some really bad love poems. Hell, I've written them, even memorized them. They give my lemon of an engine just about as much comfort as the PTSD, but our hearts were never made to work correctly, were they? We are both machines built by workers that never learned how to construct them right the first time. We are reminded of this every time we hit a pothole. Our pistons lock, our engines seize, and we look around for a healthy example of how our engineers overcame these same obstacles. But we have no healthy relationships to compare ours to. Every time someone makes a request for one of their poems, I see it on page my book, or God forbid my agent thinks it would play well in a college market, I'm reminded there's no market for words about you. There's only one for the dysfunctional stuff. You see, no one wants to hear about the nights where your heart beat. It's the lullaby playing metronome to my grandmother's voice. The voice I remember from my childhood with only you are my sunshine is a selection on the jukebox to see you... You give it that funky rhythm, no, the drum kick, the boom, 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 that deep pound that stops the PTSD from crawling into nightmares, but we're not going to go there. You see, I don't want this to become just another poem about my past when I am now focusing on the future, head in the clouds, but no longer being fueled by hot air. I once heard someone say that man was created in the image of God. But you see, that had to be a lie. How else could I get so high while just experiencing you? I did not write poems about every one of my exes, though at times I wish I did. That way I could say something cheesy like, baby, that's because I always wrote about my past. But it is now safe to say that I know my future. Relationships are really, really beautiful, wild things because when you find something that feels right, it makes it feel like everything becomes clear. Everything makes sense. Everything is easier to battle. About two years ago, 18 months ago, my incredible wife uh, was diagnosed with stage 3B breast cancer. And when she was diagnosed, there was a lot of crying from both of us, a lot of tears, <laughs> um, a lot of promising to fight and not give up fighting. Um, and when they 
give you a, a diagnosis like late stage breast cancer. Um, they give you a, a, a mortality rate of, it's, I can't remember, it's like a 20 or 30%. And 20 or 30% feels like great numbers, you know? <laughs> because hope is something that is so easy to, to hold on to. Um, so I wrote this poem as a way for people to understand what it felt like to be where I was at. I was speaking at a lot of different schools, and, and we always start with what's called happies and crappies. Um, give us some positives and some negatives. Um, and one day, the students were like, Mr. Fable, share your happies and crappies. And I was like, well, I don't feel like I only got crappies right now. Um, so I'm going to share two of those. And one of them, I was like, my, my wife just got diagnosed with um, late-stage breast cancer. Um, and things are really hard. I was working a lot to make it easier to hold, as I figure out a lot of people try to do. Um, at the time when she was going through chemo and radiation and surgeries, I think we were doing 20, 30 assemblies a year. Um, and I told many kids, like I told these students, well, my crappy is this. And students started coming up to me and they started sharing their stories of their grandparents and their mothers. And they gave me things like bracelets and stories that I could hold on to. Um, but more importantly, they really encouraged me to write a poem, and that's where I came up with this. You see, no one writes a poem for the partners of the soon-to-be survivors. So I etched this one in my ribs for the ones with smiles like theater masks. The ones with hair-triggered laughs and tempers like dry fields that haven't felt the warmth of French-kissing lightning yet. The ones with shoulders made of stone that feel they can't afford to crumble. The non-denominational dream catchers of prayers, well-wishes, hope, and whatever good juju people can conjure up that day and serve up hot. This one is for the tin folk, the scarecrows and lions. For the people that never felt love until they realized it could leave without them even pushing their loved ones away. For the people who have ixnayed on running because you are too scared to even move now. Much less look for the fire exit when it feels like your world is aflame and your feet are rooted to the there and now. Don't worry. I wrote this for the stable and the quick to validate too. The ones that been good and healthy before good and healthy was a reaction fueled by fight or wanting to fly your ass away. This is for those stuck in fight or flight. This is for those that just want to fight because it feels so much safer than feeling. Or the ones who can't find wings in their overcrowded closets, junk drawers, or backpacks stuffed to the linings with coffins and bones. I wrote it for those with tongues or records skipping on, I love you, I... I love you, love I. This is for the ones that can't help but be selfishly focused on the I 
because every time they think of the latter, they tear themselves into pieces, somehow Elmer's gluing themselves together, for there you, I wrote you a poem. I wrote me a poem. It reads, no one writes a poem for the partners of the soon-to-be survivors or the partners of the lost. So many are focused on your loved one that maybe not even you can focus on yourself. If your partner asks you to be strong, and you, like me, ain't never been the best at doing the best for you, here's a secret. Self-care ain't even for self now. Everything is selfless. Tell your reflection that you are being the best you that you can be for them and believe it. Move the needle forward. Let the record play. Past love. Sit there for a while until it ends. And listen for the thunder, whether it comes or not. So we got to a point in our journey where we went through multiple weeks of chemo. And we went through multiple weeks of radiation and surgery. Uh, and if you can be as good as you can be, um, which I thought I was doing a pretty good job, what you might do is you might make it to every appointment. You might take notes at every one of them. Because I can only imagine when you are in this situation and these doctors are telling you all of these things that it's impossible to listen to, so it probably feels good to have somebody there taking notes because I don't know how you could ever remember it all. Um, but after we go through the chemo and the radiation and the surgery, we were fortunate enough to get to a point where we were like... It's time to start being recklessly joyful, you know. Um, the fear doesn't feel so looming. It doesn't feel like things are in the shadows. So we decided to just experience joy all the way. We were like, we're going to start planning some vacations. We're going to go to Costa Rica. We're going we're gonna to be wild. We're going to live it all the way. It was really wild because this year um, has been hard and COVID hasn't been one of the reasons it's been hard. COVID doesn't really feel like in anything. In April, um, my incredible wife started to develop a cough. And I was like, yeah, you know, you should probably go to see the doctor. Doesn't sound very good. I listen to her breathe a lot when she sleeps, which is kind of creepy, but. I was like, you should probably get that checked out. She was like, ah, I got an oncologist visit as soon as I get back from our trip to Costa Rica. Let's go be reckless and go to Costa Rica. And I was like, all right. And then I continued to nudge, and I was like, hey, the cough's getting bad. You should go to the doctor. And she was like, no, seriously, I have a trip as soon as I get back. When you spent as much time as you spend in the hospital, when you go through a journey with cancer, you don't want to go to the hospital, which makes a lot of sense. Um, she's like, after I get back. 
but the heavy breathing started to turn to a cough, and she was like, fine, I'm going to go to the hospital. When she went to the hospital, the first thing they did was x-rays. Um, and the doctor said, well, that's really strange. We can't see your lungs, which means that they're full of fluid. So we're going to send you home, and you need to just relax. We're going to talk to the doctors. We're going to figure out what we can do. So she comes home. I'm not allowed to be there because COVID only lets you have one person there at a time, which is a cruel, weird game that the hospitals play. It's not very humane. Um, and when we're home, I'm building a fire in the backyard. She is inside. And midway through my building of a fire, I look behind me, and she's crying, and she has the phone in the air, and she says, speak to them, speak to them, speak to them. And I know this can't be good. So I get on the phone, and I say, hello. And they say, how is she doing? I say, she's not very good. She's crying on the floor and handing me the phone saying, talk to them. <laughs> um, and they said, you have to keep her calm. And I was like, that's not going to be very easy right now. What's going on? And they said that her lungs are filling with fluid, so we have to keep her calm. Otherwise, her lungs might collapse. And I don't know if any of you have ever been told that you have to remain calm by somebody in a situation where you're not feeling very calm, but being calm is the opposite of the thing that you would like to do. They told us that the next day we would have to come in that they would take a syringe and, and basically put it into her lungs and withdraw the fluid. Uh, it's called a thoracentesis. And they would uh, let us know what we need to do next. Uh, and that they also wanted to do a cat and a pet scan. Uh, having gone through this journey before, as soon as they said a pet scan, uh, it was immediately really terrifying. Uh, because the first time we went through this, insurance would never even clear a PET scan, which is really weird. I could get on a whole other tangent separately about the American healthcare system, but we'll save that. Um, so we went in the next day. They took fluid out of her lungs. They did all these scans, and they said, we're going to have to have you come back the following day, and, and we'll tell you about these results. So we went in, and they told us that uh, the cancer was there, and that it was in her lymph nodes and in her lungs um, and a few other spots, and that it wasn't very good, but my wife is somebody who is very much somebody who likes the facts, so she said, how long are we talking? And they said, three to five years. And when you receive that information, it turns everything upside down. There's so many things that you thought were certain and that you knew that you realized that you had no idea and no control of. And after that, we started to spend a lot of time with our goddaughter. We started talking a lot about fear. The following week, the doctor asked us to come in again, 
and said they had the results of the fluid that they took out. Um, we're like, well, news can't get any worse than it gets, you know, so why not <laughs> go to the doctor? <laughs> what the doctor told us is that the cancer mutated, that it is now a triple negative form of cancer, which is hyper-aggressive. And that the timeline we were looking at was unfortunately a year to two. I've always been an advocate for mental health and mental health awareness. And I've always talked a lot about trauma. But after receiving that information, my body started to do things that I didn't even know that it could do. Um, I've always had pretty high anxiety but there was a day where I was driving and I called 911 because I was certain I was having a heart attack. Uh, and later figured out that it was a panic attack. And I started to not be able to be in public. I started turning down a lot of speaking gigs. Things where I talk felt impossible. A lot of the things that we were doing then felt impossible. Um, and a lot of that time, I, I think that I was so overwhelmed with how I was feeling that I don't know if I did enough of checking in on her. I think that our relationship has always been this fairy tale thing that I, I think I thought that if I ever got to this point that I would snap into some hero mood, you know, that you see in the movies and you're this perfect rock of a human being that somebody needs, and I was quickly realizing that I wasn't any of that. One day I called my cousin, and I told her that I'm not doing very good. I said, I used to describe myself as being like a B plus, A minus husband. Like, I, I knew what it took to be an A, A plus, and I wasn't there, but I, I felt good being an A, because some people got some D minus husbands, and I'm like, being an, an A minus is pretty impressive, if you ask me. Um, and I told her that I was being a, a C minus husband, if I was really looking at myself now. And my cousin said to me some words that, felt like the ideology of sacred. She said, a lot of men, especially men in our family, aren't good at realizing when they're being tested. A lot of men in general aren't good at realizing when there is a test in front of them. And you have been given this biblical level test. Like, she's like, seriously, this is like some out of the Bible stuff that you have to deal with. This isn't easy. But years from now, you're going to look back and you are either going to regret a significant amount of the choices that you made, or you're going to be really pleased with the grade that you got. I 
I'm in a season in life now where I'm realizing so much of this isn't about me now. A lot of the attention needs to be towards anything besides myself, which is really easy because most of my life I haven't given myself the attention or grace that I need to get through things. But I know that I want to spend the next years that I have trying to pass this test. I know that when it comes to all of the things that I can think of that are sacred, that our love is without a doubt one of them. So I'm going to spend all the time that I have trying to make it the best that it can be. even when that feels like the hardest thing to do. And I'm going to try to find bits and pieces of myself that I didn't know that were there so that I can try to pass this impossible test. But I say that to say, um, when we leave today, one thing that a lot of people do is they always try to fill space with saying the right thing. <laughs> and don't do that. <laughs> um, it's really awkward. It gets really, really hard. And one thing that I've learned, just like impossible tests, is that there's no right things to say, you know? Um, but I do want to challenge you all who are here, who are listening for this message of, of what is sacred to realize that the time that you have with people is sacred. And that there are going to be days where you're not going to feel great and that days might not feel great. But making them the best that you possibly can with the time that you have is exactly that. And it's okay to not be good and it's okay to not pass some of your tests but to try to, to see and acknowledge the tests as they arrive and do the best that you possibly can so that you don't look back and regret them is the best that you can do. So I appreciate you all for listening to me today. And I hope that you all pass the tests that are put in front of you. Thank you.